we are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point Number Nine, a Tennis Bets podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David EJ Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9 Tennis on Twitter. If this and all the socials these days. If this is your first time listening, chances are how you found us. Welcome in. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. Derek, unfortunately, is not with me as always once again, but I'm still going from California, where I'm based, to Canada next. Mr. John Reed is here. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He also works for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ, and he does tennis form recaps. John, welcome in. Woohoo! Ready to go. Pair of 500s this week. Big week. And you know what? I'm sun running during grass season. This happens every year. Clay pisses me off with the blown leads and then grass season comes in and it's always a nice boost for that, for that one month to the bankroll. So let's hope it continues through Wimbledon, but I'm freaking pumped. John posts his plays daily at Tidbits Tennis and he's doing pretty well. Uh, the podcast is doing well. Let's hop into our accountability segment. We call what did we win? What did we learn? And we did a lot of winning. Very little learning this time. Uh, last time we spoke was on the semifinals ahead of Stuttgart and Denbosch. In Stuttgart, we took Tiafo money line minus one fifty two versus Martin Fucevic. Cash that laid the three with Jordan Thompson versus Rinky Hajikata, who had been a good bet all week. But Thompson was the play there. Struff and Hubie talked about the over twenty four. That goes three sets. Greek Spore money line talked about that being a, a plus EV bet at plus one forty one versus Emil Rusevori. Cash that as well. The losses we did lose the over one and a half tie breaks at plus four hundred in the Hubie Struff match, but that was a you know small unit chase on that one. And then if you did play the set one over in the Struff Hubie match based on our talk, which we we've talked a little bit about that, so I'll, I'll take the L on that one. That fails as well, but good week for us and John. You got your boy Struve, who you tipped to eighteen to one last week on the podcast. You had him thirty to one uh, to your Patreon, your Patreon members before play started. Did you hedge? I assume you did. I, you talked about you were going to, if you made the yeah, final. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Just because one, there's a couple things that go into it too. Like I want to make sure that that there's actual value in the hedge. Like if Tiafo comes out there and he's like minus four hundred, I'm not going to hedge that bet. I'll let it ride and I'll eat the two tenths of a unit loss. If Tiafo's minus 200, same thing, probably. But when when I, I got Tiafo at minus 110, really? Like, this was the beautiful part of how that set up was because he was in Tsitsipas's quarter, he was extremely undervalued before the tournament started on the outright market and the quarter market. And then soon as Tsitsipas went out, it's like he became overvalued. It's like they, they didn't think that anyone could beat him, it seemed. Or at least even Foe, who's a much who's a quick court specialist, you know, top 10-ish kind of player, more athletic, big serve, big forehand. Like he just does, there's nothing that Struff does ex- like leaps and bounds better than him. And yet it was a pick em. It was beautiful because it gave me the opportunity to be like, okay, look, I kind of wanted to hedge. I almost hedged to the point where I wanted Tiafo to win. I didn't. I just settled for a guaranteed two units of profit either way. I had about six units of profit to work with. So I think I, I would have been better off if Struff had won, which you kind of want to do with your outright ticket, right? Like why would you take it if you're just going to hedge off so much in the end? But I did, and like I said, because if you're gonna hedge, I kind of want to, I want to see value on the player I'm hedging with against him, and there certainly was. I had Tiafo as the favorite in that match, so when I got up at minus one ten, it was a no brainer. Same thing with Gasquet, at near, nearly plus two hundred in the quarterfinal. Since I had a quarter ticket, it wasn't like I was hedging my outright ticket twice along the way. I hedged once on my quarter and once on my my overall. 
Helen Griekspor takes down Dembosh for the home country. Didn't tip him specifically, but we did mention his name, and, and a bucket of guys mentioned that it was an event to take longer shots at. Mentioned the center part of the bracket was an area to target as well. He comes through that to win it all. So a pretty good week overall for the pod with both sites. We move on. If you did pick up some wins based on this podcast, don't be scared to give us a, a, a rating, a review on your favorite podcast platform five stars so all we ask maybe even a review saying hey these guys know what they're talking about and now we are on to this week in london and germany once again gonna talk up those sites right after i talk to you about spotify for podcasters let's kick it off here with the site in london at the queen's club this event in london uh, is steeped in tradition dating back in some form to 1881 it's also been a 500 level event since 2015 Matteo Berrettini is the reigning back-to-back champion but he has withdrawn from this event last year he beat Philippe Kranovic in 2021 he beat Cam Norrie who picked up a win in round one versus Kashmanovic Andy Murray lost today after ripping off back-to-back challenger titles he's won five times here uh, his last was in 2016 though Feli Lopez won in 2019 and 2017 Chilich won in 2018 if you go back even further Andy Roddick ripped off four titles here Sam Query won Look at these names, and it's easy to come to a conclusion. Even for grass, this is a big server's dream event. Weatherwise, uh, cloudy all week. Sun, I'm sure, will peak out at times, but uh, but Sunday is supposed to be the the clearest day. Uh, That's also projected to be the hottest day at 86 degrees. Otherwise, high 70s, low 80s should be pretty good. It's London, so rain is always a possibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, Big headlines so far: top seed Carlos Alcaraz drops the first set versus lucky loser. Arthur Rendernich, uh, but gets out a three-set win. Tommy Paul and Grigor Dimitrov failed to sign in, but both qualify in. However, Tommy was handed a round one loss by Francisco Sarundalo. Dimitrov roasts Rusevori in straight sets in his first match, uh, so he's into round two. Holger Runa picks up his first tour-level grass win in his fourth career match on grass with a two-tiebreak set win versus Maxime Cressy, avenging a loss in the Montpellier semis. Diego Schwartzman won a match, guys. He won a match. <laughs> uh, worth noting. Tiafo stays hot. So does Jordan Thompson. Lahashka proves too much for Fokina. I actually backed Fokina, and uh, he is horrible for me. He's 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 a guy that when I fade him, he's steel trap, and when I when I back him, he loses in straight stats to Yuri Lahashka. Thanks, bud. All right, outrights. Let's dig into this. Looking at the names of the recent champs. Looks like big servers are a way to go. Yeah. I mean, if you take a look at the remaining draw, though, we don't have a ton of those guys left, right? Like Runa, Musetti. I guess Ben Shelton fits that description, but it's his first, what, first ever tournament on the grass. Uh, I was happy he got by JJ. Well, if I had him there as an underdog, which was nice. I guess Taylor Fritz would be kind of the guy that sticks out, right? Good grass quarter, likes fast surfaces, has the big bomber kind of first serve. Outside of that, you know, Jordan Thompson off a long week, Cam Nori, uh, Alex Dimonor has a nice little draw here, but the, you know, Diego Schwartzman, Fran Serundolo could be sneaky, you know, Ryan Penniston. There's not a whole hell of a lot to like. And Carlos Alcaraz, once again, showcasing he can be rushed on the grass. This is the one surface that takes away from his strengths the most, right? His insane athletic ability to run everything down and make every single shot and hit these unreal desperation shots for winners. Not as effective on grass, where a little bit of power goes a long way. And even his 
incredible speed. It's going to be tougher to get to a lot of balls and, and you can actually finish points quickly against him here. So should be interesting to see uh, in terms of who comes out of especially the the top half. I think the bottom half, I'd say like Demonor might be the bottom half might be the more interesting one because Nori in the top half can work points. Tiafo has Tiafo has a great shot here. Don't don't kid yourself just because he won last week in Stuttgart and played a long three setter in the final. Do you know how long that final lasted? What was it? It's like uh four, six, seven, six, seven, six. That was a two hour and nine minute match. You're playing Jan Leonard Struff, man. There are not many long points on grass when you're playing that serve. He was he was barely on court last week. He only had to play four matches because he had a bye. His long match was against Musetti, two hours 41. Then a couple that were an hour and a half and, and just over an hour 15. He spent less than eight hours on court over you know a full week in Stuttgart. I, I don't think he's going to be that fatigued. He took just over an hour to beat Bodeg van de Zanskulp today, by the way. So he's through his first round match, still not even having played nine hours in five matches dating back to the start of Stuttgart. I would not sleep on Francis Tiafo. I have him here to win his quarter. I got him at plus 300. And then I, I have him outright as well at 16 to 1, just because I'm not as afraid to target Alcaraz's half on grass as I would be on clay or a hard court. I would try and target someone on the bottom with my outrights. I don't mind taking him on here. I think I'm back in the Fritz camp. I don't know what his odds are, but probably not very good. But I like him to come out of the, the bottom half of the draw. ADM will be tough. Uh, he looked pretty good today against Murray. Murray was a little, you know, I think the. The tank was a little empty, but also I think a bad matchup for Andy Murray uh, versus someone like ADM who has grass prowess and is a top 20 player. And extends points, right? Like those those hips are, aren't yeah. real anymore. Literally unreal. Um, and ADM, and that's the thing too, off the 10 matches it is completely different for someone like Andy Murray. Francis Tiafo coming off those same 10 matches at the challenger level, he wouldn't play them, but let's say, just use Francis as the example here, it's a very different situation when you're in your 20s and you're not on metal hips taking on ADM. You don't mind grinding again if you have to. There were a lot of long games. That match took almost an hour and 40 minutes despite being, what, 6-3-6-1 or 6-3-6-2, something like that. Like, it was a dominant scoreline, but ADM and Murray were both grinding away and Murray did fatigue towards the end. It's different when you're 36 off of 10 matches in two weeks. It's a lot of tennis. So not all that surprising to see that result Uh come up the way it did, especially with the way like Demonar's strength is the one thing that Murray probably really didn't want to face. If he was playing like a Jan Leonard Struff there, he, he probably is okay because he's a good returner. He doesn't mind the big power serves and the points are going to be shorter. That's going to give him, that's going to help his gas tank last longer and longer. But ADM is just the nightmare matchup off the last fortnight that he had. This draw is similar to, to Dembosh in that the top two top seeds are very fadeable in Alcaraz and Runa just because they don't have a ton of grass data. I mean, they could trend up and this could be, you know, the tournament that it all clicks in and Alcaraz storms through this thing. Even someone like Grigor Dimitrov, I think, could, could pose a problem for Alcaraz uh, in this. Sebastian Corda could suddenly be good again, get to the final here. And Cam Nori, I think, is, you know, a deserved look here as the five seed on the bottom part of Alcaraz's bracket. So, I, and, you know, Runa picked up his first grass win today <laughs> at the tour level. So definitely some a week to um, pocket some long shots here. If Alcaraz makes it through, I'll actually be genuinely impressed. Yeah, um, I think, I, I got to say too, one more thing about Alcaraz. I am so glad that Outsofield's pulled out because I had the plus one and a half sets. There was no temptation to fade with Rinderneck. I'm not tempted to fade with Lehechka. 
I don't mind if Lahechka does beat Alcaraz and I don't have a ticket. It's similar to the Gasquet beating Tsitsipas when I didn't have a ticket. It helps my futures looks with, with Francis Tiafo, right? It takes out that big obstacle that time that he's going to be a huge underdog and makes that outright even more valuable because your rollover is not going to get anywhere close to that number anymore. And so I just have no, I was, but I was going to fade with, we talked about this in our chat. I was going to fade with ADF. I was absolutely going to fade with Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. He didn't get there. So now that's, I can now say I will not lose more than three Alcaraz fades this tournament. I'm okay with that, man. If I don't, if I don't have to fade Alcaraz on grass more than four or five times, in a month, I'm happy because my numbers are going to show that he should not be a dominant or like this crazy big favorite. And he always will because he's Carlos freaking Alcaraz. The markets are always going to have him as like a minus 1000 favorite. And so the the fewer times I actually have to bet against this freak of nature, this absolute phenom, the happier I am. Uh, and so I get to avoid at least two. If, if Dimitrov is there, I probably look to fade. But if Sarundal is there, I could probably avoid a third time fading him and then use my semi-finalist whether it's thompson nori or tiafo uh i'm just going to discount corda that's called wishful thinking I, I think all three are going to have decent numbers against alcaraz in that potential semi all right well let's top into some match play talk as we have some lines for matches uh both tomorrow and the next day lorenzo mosetti is a minus 185 favorite against the american ben shelton who Open around plus 170, but is down to plus 155 on the money line as the dog. The game spread is two and a half. The total is 23. Shelton did pick up his first grass win in his first attempt against J.J. Wolf, but that was like J.J. Wolf's like second or third match on grass, so he's still learning. Shelton, I think, much bigger server, a little bit more athleticism. I think just has a probably had an easier transition onto the surface uh, than Mr. Wolf. And his dad is also coaching him now. His dad made the fourth round at Wimbledon. So maybe, you know, a little tutelage how to handle the grass from Pops uh, as well. I really like Ben Shelton once again here to pick up his second career uh, win uh, on the surface. Musetti, though, getting some buzz, I think, for his like backhand slice on grass. But just showing more form on grass than I think people expected. Also, not a great uh, grass resume. Picking up some wins for the first time in his young career uh, as well. I, I think maybe a deserved favorite. I don't know that he's a, a minus 185 favorite, though, in this matchup, knowing I'm going to get those big serves from Ben Shelton. Yeah, look, Ben's got return issues, though. And I think on a new surface, plus the fact that he's not the greatest returner in the world, as is, I'm looking at overs here in a couple different capacities. I think the, the the 22 and a half is a little bit juice, but 23 is a number I don't mind, especially at minus 105. Over two and a half sets, over plus 140 right now. That looks okay as well. I was expecting, you know, plus 125 on that uh, sets over, and I was expecting the all the prices on the over games to be kind of a half game up. So like the, the minus 125, I thought would be the, the over 23. The minus 105, I thought would be the 23 and a half. So I actually don't mind that a, a full half game at least according to my numbers of, of value there. So the, the overs, the first set overs here, I mean, you're getting nearly plus 300 on a first set tie break. Musetti's first serve has played up this grass court season. He's been tough to break outside of that three service game stretch where Tiafo got him over and over and over. He's been rock solid on serve. He's finding ways to one, you know, the first serve is going to play up and it's probably a little undervalued as is. Two, placing his serve as well. That's pulling his opponents out wide allowing him to find an easy first ball to put away when he doesn't have the most power on tour. He's not, I wouldn't say he's 
he's underpowered. It's just that relative to the other guys in his ranking range, he's pretty underpowered, right? So being able to place or, or hit your spots with your serves and then have that easy first ball that you don't need to crush to put away. Let the courts do the work. Let the open space do the work. He's been really good with that. And like you mentioned, the, the backhand slice is going to be uh, something to watch moving forward. He's starting to develop that a little bit more than he did in previous years. That said, he's going to have the Ben Shelton serve and lefty forehand coming at that wing cross court. It's going to be much tougher for him to time up and take down the line, which he loves to do. That's one of his signature kind of shots. It's going to be really tough to time those up. I think he's going to look a little more like Denis Shapovalov and a little less like Lorenzo Musetti in those exchanges. So I don't mind the tie break here. Just because, like I said, Shelton's got the weapons. He also lacks a bit on return. Mozetti's probably the underpowered one. The game may not fit as well on grass, but the, but more experience. And playing a guy who isn't exactly the greatest returner in the world. I could see a string of holds to start this one. Career tour level, Mozetti is 8-9 and nine versus lefties. What what kind of lefties has he beaten? Which ones has he lost to? Like what? what yeah, what's the know. power versus pusher profile on those? Let me... But he's breaking it more or less the same percentage 23 versus percent versus righties 22 percent versus lefties so nothing there's there's not a staggering difference between his hold and his break percentage versus righties or lefties so uh, nothing to really attack there i don't think well again like sophia quick indoor hard court he lost seven six seven five to mark andrea Husler. mark andrea Husler saved zero of one break point there was one break point generated albert ramos vignolas in basel he generated 11 break points. So like I said, it really depends on the profile of the lefty. You know what I mean? Like Dom Stricker only faced four break points against him at the next gen finals. It's a different format, but again, quick indoor hard courts. They played five tie breaks, but the tie break comes at three all. And there were just four break points generated uh, by Musetti against another power lefty. So, you know, again, I think it really comes down to, or maybe it's him saving break points. Pardon me. I'd have to take a look at the, uh, the return data here. Yeah, okay, so against Jack Draper at the next-gen final, zero point break points created. Against Stricker, three break points created. Against Husler, one break point created. Again, it, it's not simply about he has trouble returning lefties. It's He has trouble returning power lefties on, like, big-serving power lefties on quick courts. Last year, he showed that on three separate occasions, and that's Ben Shelton fits that profile pretty well. You can get the over 22.5 on Bovada for minus 125. It's a little juice, but it is only 15 cents to get off the 23. I think that's going to be my play over 22 and a half minus 125. I I like the Shelton money line much more at plus 170 versus plus 155. I know it's only a 15 cent difference, but like tipping a much worse number, I'm I'm just I'm not into. Yeah, I get that. I get that. <laughs> it's like I still like the number, but it's like oh, I really wish I could have been doing this at plus 170. Cameron Nori is minus 195 on the money line. I think that's down a bit. I think he was over an over $2 favorite. Uh, the, the spread is three games. The total is at 22 and a half here. It looks like this t- spread is coming down because three is now at minus 105. If, if the spread is going to, coming down, if I can get a two and a half for Cam Nori, minus uh, 120, pinnacle and bet 365 right now. Cam Nori, minus two and a half, minus 125. Book it for me. <laughs> That's my pick. Now, uh, p- part of that is Jordan Thompson obviously stayed hot versus Alexi Popperin. Popperin has been awful on grass, like the complete reverse of what he was on clay, which was solid. He wasn't like fantastic, but he was solid. He's not been solid on grass in like a four or five matches so far this grass season. He's someone who's played 
he started on the challenger level before the main tour even got there. Uh, Cam Norrie. I mean, Thompson has played up on grass. He's been good, but it's just in a final. But I think some of this is like how poor Norrie was on clay. Like he's just a much different player on grass than he was during the clay season. Like it's just going to be a different player out there. And I mean, the baseline, this is where like the baseline is really going to come into play and screw over Thompson. Like he's not going to be able to serve bot his way through holds a short number. I'm not overthinking this one, man. Cam Norrie made the semifinals at Wimbledon last year. He's a great grass player. He's made the final here before too. Yeah. That's a pretty good number. A pretty good bet. Yeah. And look, like you said, I think the big point you made there was he's not going to be able to Thompson not be able to serve his way as easily through some of uh, someone like Norrie as he has through Alexi Popperin, not the greatest returner. Milos Raonic, not the greatest returner. Milos won 12 games on, sorry, 12 games, 12 points on return throughout that entire match. You know, even even someone like like Giovanni Impeci Pericard, he beats him six four seven six. Not the greatest returner. Hijikata, Svida, those guys. He's he just plays the same similar style as, but much better. This is the complete opposite. This time he's playing a returner, but he doesn't have like a talent a major talent edge against him. In fact, he has a major talent deficit against Nori. So I think as much as you know, he's had a, a his schedule is has really or the, his draws uh, should I should say have actually kind of been pretty favorable to him. Plus his experience, his flat balling nature, his ability to take that ball with the low bounce. Those are all things that are going to give him a huge advantage on this surface against a lot of the players he's played. You know, Greeksport gets him, Murray gets him. You have to think Cam Norrie is much closer to an Andy Murray or Talon Greeksport than a Ricky Hijikata or a Zach Svida. You know what I mean? Like that, that almost sounds like me just say, stating the obvious, but that's the whole point is this is a different level of opponent he's off a long week last week his first round win you can almost brush aside because popperins looked awful in his last few matches on the grass i, I think i'm gonna join you there i get the solid player get a good returner i get someone who's been deep here deep at wimbledon the flat backhand is going to skid through the courts much much more effectively than you know anything he, that you'd expect of it on clay yeah i like cam nori as well for the head-to-head stands nori is three and two so thompson has picked up a couple wins against cam nori in the past, last time was uh, in uh, Astana on a hard indoor in 2020 in three sets. He also beat him in 2019 uh, in Miami. Uh, but definitely, uh, twenty even 2020 Cam Nori is different than mm-hmm. this version of Cam Nori. So um, I know we, we're not big head-to-head people on here, but I know people... They like to hear that stuff, so there you go. Well, don't don't forget the Binghamton Challenger in 2017 <laughs> on an outdoor hardcore. You cannot talk about this match. You cannot handicap this match without taking into account the Binghamton Challenger six years ago, Dave. Uh, okay, Ryan Penniston picked up a, a nice dog win against Ugo Umber in the first round of this event. He is now a plus 260 money line dog. To Holger Runa, who is minus 325 on the money line. The game spread is three and a half here. The total is 22 and a half. Ryan Penniston is a Brit who's, uh, you know, a very middling player professionally, uh, but much more of a grass prowess uh, than Mr. Runa. Mr. Runa, obviously, top tier player on this tour. Which side is going to win out? Oh, this is the the quintessential talent versus surface kind kind of issue, and I was actually considering fading Runa in this spot when I saw the the draw. I'm glad that this price came out around that plus two fifty mark. I am not tempted in the least 
to back Peniston at this price. I mean, he's defending what quarterfinals, I think, from last year here. So, you know, we saw him win, but that was, you know, he beat Casper Rude, another kind of playish Nordic player. He beat him 7 6, 7 6, and then beat Fran Serundolo in the second round to get to the quarters before losing to Phil Krajinovic. Boy, how far has Phil Krajinovic fallen from the semifinals of this event <laughs> to, to where he is now? It's it's a nice, easy pass for me. You know, he's a similar price here as he closed against Root, which is interesting because I wouldn't say that Root and Root are the exact same player, but both top 10 guys, both more comfortable on clay. And he did it last year. So who knows? I, I Like I said, not tempted at all by the price point. I mean, if I were to get up to $5 or plus 400, I'd be tempted. I, I'd like something in that plus 450, plus 500 range, but I'm. it's obviously not going to get there. That would require a monumental amount of money to pour in on Rune at like minus 350, which it won't. So I'll leave it. Any temptation? I wish this was more. Man, uh, The you're right. The price, uh, I was I was tempted, but you're right. The price is pretty low for the risk. I was thinking maybe Penniston at plus 190 on the money line of set one, but man, I wanted it like, plus 210 like Wu Yabing was plus 210 versus Rublev for the set one money line yesterday like it's even shorter than that and he's a lot shorter than he was against Umber now I know that Umber and Runa the experience on grass and the game on grass are two different animals but still if you're much much shorter against Holger Runa than Ugo Umber and I wasn't betting you against Ugo Umber I just it's hard for me to justify it here even with Runa's inexperience all right, I'm not getting burned and walking into our accountability segment taking an L on Ryan Penniston. So it's a full pass for me uh, as well. All right, Francis Tiafo, John Tip. So he must be liking this. Uh, he's probably, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess maybe he passes this one, but Tiafo is a minus 165 money line favorite versus Sebastian Corda, who is plus 135 as the dog. The game spread is two. The total is at 23. Now, any routine listeners, of this podcast. No, I've been trying to get ahead of a resurging Corda for a few tournaments now. And it's not been a winning strategy <laughs> as of yet, <laughs> but I think I am sticking with this again. I mean, a healthy Sebastian Corda can easily beat Francis Tiafo on grass. He's plus plus one thirty-five. That's a pretty good price, man. All things considered, if foe wasn't like red hot right now, this would probably be closer to a pick em. I'm going, I'm fading foe, man. I'm not really factoring the court time because, like you said, it's not. I just think that Corda is going to be able to uh, generate some break points and hold serve. It's really kind of as simple I'll, as that for me. I'll take Foe. Not. I probably don't bet him unless he gets to minus one thirty-five. You know, he's there's a minus one forty-five out there at Pinnacle right now, so it's not like totally out of the realm of possibility he moves a little bit more, especially off a long week. Corda does have a lot of love in the markets. I mean, plus one thirty-three. At Pinnacle for a guy who has won under a handful of matches, taking on a guy who is coming off a title and is a quick court specialist because he's got a great aggressive uh, game. He's got a huge forehand, big serve, super athletic. And like, you know, Court has done what? He's beaten, like, since the Australian Open, he's, he's beaten Matthew McDonald on clay and Dan Evans, who couldn't beat me right now in a tennis match. So, no, no interest <laughs> in back in Corda. <laughs> <laughs> I think he better hope Foe is is feeling the effects like mentally of a long week. Because I don't think that someone as athletic as Foe is going to be feeling all that physically tired over nine hours on court over, you know, a full week. And, and tomorrow's Wednesday. so like a week and a half. He's played nine hours professionally on court. It just doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me. And, and I have my outrights. I'm fine with them. He's the way he's played this year and in recent weeks, Foe absolutely deserves to be the favorite in this matchup. And yeah, I think 
I think there's there's a case for me he should be a bigger favorite. I don't need to to kind of bet it because of my outrights. And if it gets egregious, I will. But I'll leave it. I'm happy. I'm just happy to see Foe win multiple titles this year. He's got a lot of haters out there that say he's not a big match guy. And semifinals at Indian Wells plus two titles, even if they're only 250s. I'm happy to see him do that. He crushed Bodek van de Zanskop, also with injury concerns, by the way. If he was 100%, maybe he would have been more competitive. But same logic uh, could be used with him and Korda. I tell you what, driving down Narrative Street with Tiafo, <laughs> looking for that title in the last episode. I think it was uh, definitely play a, a factor. In 12 career matches on grass, Sebastian Korda has a break percentage of 24.1%. Murray and Djokovic, who were the class of grass, over 100 matches each, their break percentage is at 26%. I mean, if yeah. Sebastian Korda is just like neutrally good and not Kurt Korda, he has a very strong chance to win this match. I would I would definitely say that when you've only played that number of matches on grass and two of your wins or two, like three of your sets were 6-2, 6-3 against Garin and then love and then a, a bagel against Carreño Busta, like that's certainly possible. He did lose that match to Busta. Yeah, <laughs> after, but after... You, know, you bagged the guy and couldn't win it. <laughs> All right, we got both sides in that one. We got two matches for the next round. Carlos Alcaraz is laying four games against Jerry Laheshka. He's minus 500 on the money line. Laheshka is plus 375. Now, Laheshka is holding at a very high rate, less his single break today versus Fokina. But his, uh, we talked about it before, his serve is like sneaky, I'm not going to say good, effective. Sneaky, effective, Yuri Laheshka. So I do wonder if he finds a few more holds than the market is giving him credit for here at four. I'm not yeah, sure he wins I mean, this match, but... He's got big ground strokes too. Like, he's got the ability to just... You can't hit through Alcaraz anywhere, but like I said earlier, if there's anywhere you can find some points where you can hit through him more often, it's on grass. And Hilahechka has the weapons from the baseline to do it too. I mean, he, look, look at his first serve win percentages since he started playing on grass this year. 93.5, 85.4, and 77.6. These are against Davidovich Fokina, Tiafo, and Giron. Like, we're not talking about Query, Kevin Anderson, and John Isner here. That's that's a really high percentage. I mean, he hasn't been below 13.5% on his ace percentage yet either. Looking pretty good. I, if you want to go pure data-wise and like how he's looked so far in grassies, and those two things together could be enticing. I'm not touching it. I have no interest in betting Yuri Lahechka, even at plus, four to, oh, plus 410. Okay. Starting to get there. But again, just going to remain disciplined. I, I want something a little more egregious than that, and I can just stay away. If this spread gets up to four and a half or the four and a half dips down to like minus 130 minus 125 i i feel like that's a playable number to get the hook right now it's a minus 165 but knowing the market and that money will probably just be steamrolling in on alcaraz once they like see that laheshka's like barely played grass yeah. i think four and a half would be a good number all right the other one francisco sarundalo is a plus 200 money line dog to grigor dimitrov Spread is three and a half. Total is 22 and a half here. Dimitrov has it rolling a bit in this event coming through qualies. Dolo won. Was that his first win on grass? No, he was here last year. He won a match here last year. Dolo picked up a dog win already. Is there anything that different surface? Okay, John. But are there any similarities in this Dimitrov matchup to the Hachanov matchup in Miami for Sarundalo? I mean, it's going to be a lot tougher for him to return, obviously. Um, 
is Grigor, I don't know if Grigor is just naturally as erratic in terms of his, his shooting or if he's just more mentally erratic. I would say that's the biggest difference between him and Hachanov. But I would not want to play. I would, I, I, that's a tough one. Who would you rather play, Hachanov in Miami or an informed Dimitrov on grass? If I'm Srundle, I'd rather play that match in Miami because I'm just, I'm more used to the conditions, the heat, it doesn't bother me. And I've done well there before. It's a little bit slower. Even if this year it played quicker, the courts still aren't grass. I, this is probably a tougher match for him just because it's on grass. The bounce is much different. And he's playing an opponent who has just as much power, but uh, but far more experience on the given surface. And I think his block return should should be okay in this in this spot against Cerundolo. So I I think I like Grigor here. I don't like him enough to play like the minus three. I was hoping to see a minus two and a half, but that's minus one thirty five ish. So for now, it's it's a pass for me on that one. Again, anytime I can pass on a Grigor Dimitrov match, I'm not seeing value. I'm content with that just because who the hell knows what's going to happen with Grigor Dimitrov. Dimitrov has hit double digit aces in all three of his matches so far. In that upset win versus Tommy Paul which upset by the numbers. Sorrentolo hit 10 double faults. He faced 12 breakpoints, saved six of them. Uh, there's some he stuff to like six it. times by Tommy. Yes. Three in the first set, twice in the second set, once in the third. Well, he better hope he's not broken six times by Grigor Dimitrov. I don't know how he recovers and, <laughs> and pulls that off again. It's like the three and a half is such a big number to cover if like Bellow finds one break, but man, it feels like he's really going to have trouble serving. Or holding serve, rather. What's the 2-0? Plus 105 for a straight set win. Again, this is like, this line had just come out. If the Dimitrov side starts to come down, like if I can get a plus 110, plus 15 for Dimitrov to win in straight sets. Well, there's a plus 122 at Pinnacle already. I would play that. I think that's a plus EV bet. I think that Dimitrov probably generates break points more likely to hold serve and win in straight sets. Yeah, there's a minus three. It's minus 110 there as well. I'd still like it down to the two. I just, I don't trust Gregor on return. And this is such a bitch of a surface where like Dolo does have the first serve. And, you know, as much as he gave up six breaks to Tommy, there were what? 12, 22, 32 service games in that match. So six out of six, that's still a lot, but he's, you know, you're not playing, uh, you're not playing Gregor Dimitrov there. You're playing much better returner, Tommy Paul. So it's, it's tough. I mean, like I said, I think with Dimitrov, I, I kind of hold myself to a higher standard or like the bar for me to play him is, is a little bit higher just because it's so freaking annoying um, trying to back him, especially laying games, especially on a quick surface. I think right now the the three games for Dimitrov is at minus one thirty. I suspect that the market is going to love Sarundalo in this dog position, especially at plus two hundred. I-, I could see this minus three getting down to like minus one twenty, minus one fifteen. I, I well, would it's minus one ten now. If you if if you if people out there have access to Penny, you've got a minus one ten there. I would play that as well. The minus, I would lay the three games with Dimitrov at minus one ten. I can get a minus three on Bet Online at minus one fourteen. I like go. that play, and I'm going to take it. All right, John, let's move over to Germany. ATP Halle. This grass event in Germany has been around since 1993, when it started as a 250 event in 2015. It became a 500 level event. Like this edition, Roger Federer ruled this event over the years, winning it ten times between 2003 and 2019. Last year, Hubie Hercash beat Daniil Medvedev 6-1, 6-4 to take the title. He won today uh, in his first match and covered uh, versus Eubanks. So he's trying to defend those points. Ugo Umber beat Andre Rublev in 2021. Rublev also picked up uh, a win and a cover today in three sets versus Wu Yibing. Borna Chorich won in 2018. He's out. 
versus Bublik today. The now German number two, Alexander Zverev, is a two-time finalist, uh, but hasn't been there since 2017. Congratulations to our guy Struf uh, for making it uh, to the number one German spot once again with his mm. final. He's 21 and Zverev's 22. Uh, John, you posted a poll, speaking of Hubie Hercash, mm-hmm. uh, without looking it up, what would you say is Hercash's tiebreak record since the start of 2019? Now, the options were under 50%, uh, but then 50% to 54%, 55% to 59%, and then over 60%. Now, while the under 50% was the winner at 359 I mean, over 60% was in a close second at 33 Eight percent of the votes. So a lot of people out there are assuming Hubie is a tiebreak god, uh, which he showed today. He is in fact not. Talk to us about this. <laughs> this is this is something I wanted to do because it's funny. The it's just a psychological thing, right? People assume because he plays so many tiebreaks, he's the king of them. And outside of a handful of guys, I think Roger Federer, John Isner, and Isner is like a special case because his serve is just that untouchable he needs one block return he's pretty much got the tie break locked up right like he's different but people just assume these huge servers have these like massive advantages in tie breaks and you're still talking about a near coin flip you get two to three maybe four percentage points more uh you might be about 54 46 or 53 47 because of you have that big serve and you do find cheaper points keep in mind a lot of these guys have that serve because they're tall when you're that tall you also struggle more on return a double fault screws you because you have trouble recovering a mini break. Hubert Hercatch has now played 35 tie breaks this year after today, um, 18 and 17. So near dead 50%. Since the start of 2019, using tennis abstracts records, uh, he was like 52.9%. Okay. So I think some people here thought it was a trick question and went with the under 50. Some people here went with the narrative I thought that most people would go with and oh, he's amazing. He's got the huge serve. And anecdotally, you remember the two or three tie breaks that he's won when you bet on him. But you don't realize over the long term, this shit evens out. And it's been something I've been trying to preach over and over again. Tie breaks are flips with maybe one guy having a 52, 53, 53.5% to 46.5% edge. That's it. So when people keep putting a Hercatch in parlays on grass at minus 300 because they think, oh, he's he's a great tie break guy. No, he's not. He's really just above average perhaps if not pretty normal at tie breaks and so you're putting this minus 300 into your parlays not even as a single bet into your parlays basically flipping a coin just on that one leg alone it's just you you gotta stop loving hubie hercatch in these spots the overs and you can see the market is adjusted to the point where he's still a huge favorite because he's better than than other players but you can see his there's no correlation anymore between his his uh spreads and his overs and the money line right? The overs are up at like 23 and a half, 24, 24 and a half. The, the spreads are at like two to two and a half. And then his money, his money line today was what? Minus 300. That's crazy, man. It's absolutely nuts. People know that he's likely to win, but he's not likely to dominate. And I think fading him is probably is continues to be the best path forward. Even if he wins marginally against Watanuki and he wins marginally against Eubanks, that, that number against Eubanks, that scoreline, he only the, the two breaks he got were the only two games out of 16 or 15 or 16 return games that he generated break points in. He's just not a good enough returner, especially on quicker courts. I would just say, like, and this is that was the whole point of the exercise with this poll that got, I think, 340 votes was, you know, see if people could recognize that almost always 
you're going to fall in that 50 to 54% range. The vast majority of people will be slightly under 50 or in the 50 to 54% range. Very few will be over 60 or very few will be in 55 to 59. And I don't know if anyone in tennis history has been over 60% um, for their career in tie breaks. And like I said, going back to 2019 with that large of a sample size, it's just nearly impossible to win that many tie breaks. Well, I mean, I thought that was a pretty great poll and and a good, I like these polls you're doing to just kind of test public perception uh, on things because I do feel like uh, there are some narratives out there on players that uh, are, they're mislabeled a bit or are untrue. Back to this event in Germany, John. Uh, weather-wise, it's going to be hot in the 80s uh, and rainy. Could have rain this week. Now, people have complained in the past about these courts. Uh, say they're like dried mud with speed bumps or ski moguls out there. They looked okay yesterday, but even today, day two, these courts are getting chewed up pretty quick. Uh, if it rains, it's going to make these courts a bit of a mess. And, you know, not that you should 100% factor it into your handicap, but I don't think this is an event to 10 unit bomb because I think if these courts get uh, a little more wear on them, the ball's going to bounce in ways that you can't predict. Just keep that in mind. What do you think about where the courts have looked so far, John? I mean, that that would benefit those that kind of, um, that's kind of another thing that evens things out, right? So grass, especially in the men's side, really closes the gap between the best and, and the middle of the pack because anyone with a serve can kind of keep things close. Then if you get, bounces going one way or the other in close matches that can come down to one break or come down to a tie break, one bounce or one divot hit uh, in a rally could make the difference. And that's out of the player's control. Really that, that kind of favors the underdogs as well. Right. Something to think about uh, as you're going through this, I can't, I'm not so huge on the court uh, conditions as I am at looking this draw. And I'm just like, boy, this is like an unappealing draw. I'm not super pumped to back Daniil Medvedev, on an out, in an outright capacity, but his half of the draw sucks. Like Hompfman, Bautista Agut, who's kind of out of form, Hubert Hurkacz, who we just talked about. I just, I'll never consider him on an, from an outright perspective unless, because one, he never has a good price because he's always one of the favorites. And two, he's just always susceptible to losing flips and being out. Alex Bublik looked really good today against Borna Chorch, by the way. Like he actually looked like he cared and he had point construction and the serve and forehand were there. Still got lackadaisical, so that's something to worry about. Then the rest of the bottom half, like Sinner, continues to be slightly above average on grass courts. Zverev did not look that impressive in his win against team. Nico Jari is Nico Jari. Steph Sissipas is Steph Sissipas. Like, there's a lot of guys here that have just, like, not the most enticing to back. And there's only one guy I have my eye on from an outright perspective. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think I pulled the trigger in the end. And I was smart not to because he never wins anything because he sucks. But it's Dennis Shapovalov. Whoa. 20- <laughs> Here's the thing, though. The outright isn't worth it. And this is not me tipping the 22 to 1 because he is a plus 215 dog in his second round match. And then a Cincy pass were to get through, like the outright only becomes relatively valuable if you believe Sitsi Pass is going to lose. Shapovalov might have to go Zverev plus 215 dog. You know he's going to be a plus 180 to 215 dog against Pass. Then he's got to get through potentially like Bublik or Sinner. Sinner, he's a massive dog against. And then Medvedev, he's a dog against. So there's absolutely no value in backing a 22 to 1 outright unless you really think that a lot of these top guns are going to be tripped up along the way. But I think Dennis could absolutely beat 
Zverev, and he can absolutely on grass beat Tsitsipas. We've seen him like he's just he has that lefty game to just absolutely hound Tsitsipas's backhand. He's a better returner on grass than Tsitsipas, which you don't get to say about many players with regards to Shapovalov. He's got a huge serve and huge power game. For me, he's a better grass quarter, period, than Stefano Tsitsipas is. Zverev has has started to put some results together, but when's the last time he really looked like dominant in a match? I think one or two matches at the French Open, he looked really strong, but of his last 10 wins, he's been relatively unimpressive. That forehand was wild against Team today for large swaths of that match. Team gave away, I think he had two double faults and an unforced error on an, on like a in a neutral rally to be broken in the first set. Second set, he was broken really late. He, you know, Zverev had trouble really getting back to neutral footing in in against his first serve. Shapovalov's got just as big of a first serve. He's probably got a little bit more grass court prowess. Flatter game. I can't believe I'm saying this, but if Denis Shapovalov can screw his head on straight for one week in his freaking life before October, then he can actually do some damage at this tournament. Never, Shapo. But... (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I totally get it. Trust me. Um... I would actually say, as opposed to last week, this week, uh, I look for Daniil Medvedev and Yannick Center to find some form and and stand up as some of the class uh, of this tour uh, and at this event. Um, I, I think there's a real chance both those guys end up in the final. I think Rublev, as a, a finalist in the past, is a, a pretty good, especially if you know the reins make these conditions play a little bit slower. That certainly plays uh, better for Rublev, uh, although he does like quicker conditions too. So Batista Agut, who that's a good pivot into what we're going to talk about. He's kind of a grass goat. So I think that's a name to definitely keep an eye on uh, for this event. Although it looks like John just shook his head. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to play Brandon Nakashima. I'll be on Nakashima. Well, I just well, saw... You know what? Nakashima is actually not a bad long shot uh, as an outright for this event either. Um, so let's, let's, let's pivot over to it because Brandon Nakashima is a plus plus one thirty money line dog. To Batista Agut, who's minus one fifty-five on the money line, two-game spread totals at twenty-three. Nakashima made the fourth round of Wimbledon, capping off a successful grass season in twenty twenty-two. However, the Spaniard is forty-four and twenty in his career on grass, so pretty good grass record. In his last fifty-two, he's six and three, so he's not falling off, even though he's fallen off. All of this year, he only has one match on grass so far. So, but I will say, I mean, you think about those tricky matches with uh, Halis versus RBA. It's going to be a redux here with Nakashima. Similar, similar type of players. Yeah, and, ahead, and we John. can't really, we can't really say that we don't know how much he's fallen off on grass just because he hasn't been tested in quite some time. Like he beat Attila Balaz last year, a 34 year old who I think is on, you know, he's on the last legs of his career. He's using his, he used his protected ranking to play these big events with the big paychecks. He'll be done. He was always a clay quarter anyway, clay court specialist back in the day. He beat Antoine Bellier in Mallorca. He beat Taro Daniel barely in Mallorca. Got a walkover from Kyrgios. Beats Daniel Medvedev there last year, who was the defending champion. That's, you almost have to wonder what Medvedev was thinking or if he was all that enthused about playing the week prior to Wimbledon um, because that was a three and two match. So I don't know how much stock you can put in it. A retirement win against Fuchsovics. There just aren't that many reliable wins to, to kind of really make it seem like, yeah, Bautista Agut may be struggling, but he's still himself on grass. Like he beat Andrea Vavasori. Okay. Big server, serve and volleyer has the, the kind of 
theoretically has the style to succeed on grass, but the man is a challenger to our player. And even though he has a certain volley style, still more of a clay quarter. I mean, he's a lucky loser. He lost to Gio- Giovanni Empeci, Paracard, you know, up and coming Frenchman, not exactly a, a grass quarter <laughs> or clay quarter or any quarter at this point, I suppose. Lost to Marcos Giron. I got in as a lucky loser. I'm not sold here. Brandon Akashima has a good flat game. He's got undervalued power. Plus 138 against a guy like Bautista Agut, who's been good in the past on the surface, but hasn't really shown us anything this year. I'll go ahead and take that. I know Nakashima hasn't shown us a whole hell of a lot either, right? There's going to be people screaming that, like, you know, you got to say that about both, which is fair. But I just have this as a very even matchup. Nakashima's got a good flat style, good forehand, should find plenty of cheat points uh, with his game playing up on the grass. Wasn't terrible against Rusuvori last week. I thought he he would win that match, but not the worst. Kind of unimpressed against Michael Emer, so we'll see how it plays out. But at a decent plus money, I certainly think that Nakashima uh, is worth a look. Roman Sifilian, the Russian, is taking on Jan Leonard Struff, who is minus 195 on Bovada as the money on the money line. Roman is plus 160 as a dog. Spread is two and a half. Total is 23. I mean, it feels like Stroop should be a bigger favorite. Uh, as I mean, even for a guy with a big serve, Civilian is so breakable. Like, I just, but Stroop, you know, off the big week. Always a, a classic fade spot, although that hasn't played out so far this week for any of the guys, less Andy Murray, um, who've been in finals. Any, I, I'm staying away from this one. I, I really don't. One, I don't want to back Struth and then get fucked by this big serving average player. Uh, but two, I just, I don't really, I mean, I don't really have a great read on this one. Well, that's the whole thing, right? Is is Struf is not the greatest returner to, to begin with. And Safulin's strength is kind of serve forehand quick court play, which all fits in well on a grass court. So I certainly wouldn't be backing Struf here at, at the minus two in the minus two hundred range. I'm not laying three games with Struf, even at plus money. Uh, you got minus two and a half at minus one ten. If you like that, that's if you really think Stroop is head and shoulders better. You need one break, a seven six six four seven six six three type situation gets you over the line. I'm not interested in backing that. You know, second straight. You can't really use the fatigue fade angle to to fade him either, though, because the guy doesn't play long matches. Like I said, he played a six four six seven six seven match against Tiafo. On any other surface, that is going to be a three-hour match. On grass, with Struve involved, it was two hours and nine minutes. That is nutso. Uh, probably passing here, the overs. If you can get a, a nice number on a first set over, uh, and by that I mean like a plus 300 on a tie break, then I'd probably take it right now. It's at plus 240, plus 265. Plus two sixty seven. I'm not. I'm not seeing any plus three hundreds out there. So I'm. I'm good to pass on this match for now. John, I have to be honest. There's nothing that I'm super hot on for this entire slate, which is not not something great for a podcast. Uh, <laughs> but Daniil Medvedev, Lazo Jera, Nico Jari, Sissipas, <laughs> Zverev, Shapo, Rublev, Zverev, Shapo. I mean, Shapo 
plus 240. That to me again, that has to be a play the way that Zverev has looked. He has not been all that dominant. Um, I get matchup wise, like he's a little bit more solid. He's obviously mentally stronger, but these are two big servers, two power players. Again, I get that the 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 power, the lefty power going into Zverev's backhand wing is kind of the strength for the German, but I don't think that that Denis Shapovalov is this much worse than Alex Zverev on a grass court. Again, this is a court that kind of, if you've got any type of power at all, this is a court that closes the gap between guys. And Denis Shapovalov has plenty of talent. He's not at that big of a talent gap to Zverev. Zverev is probably more talented and is the better player when he's at his best. We haven't seen his peak best yet this year, in my opinion. Not against other really top-notch competition anyway. And Dennis, you know, struggled last week against Fuchsovics, led by a set. 7-6-6-4 is not the most impressive win against Lloyd Harris, but that man has a monster serve in his own right. Of course, I learned that uh, when Zverev could barely beat him on clay, could not cover that spread for me because he needed two tie breaks on a clay court against Lloyd Harris, who isn't at 100%. And that kind of illustrates my point perfectly is, does Sasha Zverev, with the way he's been so hot and cold and so error prone and the way his forehand has gone completely buck wild on him so often this season, does he deserve to be a minus 300 favorite against minus 250? I suppose at, at pinnacle you can get him for, but a minus 250 favorite against anyone that's inside the top 30 that has talent and a big serve on a grass court. My answer to that is no. So as much as I cannot stand betting on Denis Shapovalov and watching him hit 16 double faults, to sink the bet when he actually has a path to victory. I think I have to do it here at plus 240. What about the total of the Medvedev Jera match? It's at 20 and a half. Now that's pretty low for a grass court. And Jera has an underrated serve. It's not a, a, a better on principle uh, moment for me here, uh, but th- that is sticking out to me. I mean, I don't think Jera's like completely garbage and if these are going to be more livelier conditions more earthy conditions if you will uh, that might play into his hands to get a seven five seven four six seven five six four loss he also could get smoked by medvedev because medvedev is basically like an elite version of what this guy tries to do yeah no interest in that match i'm just gonna wait to see what the number is of either bautista agut or nakashima (laughs) <laughs> in the next round, see if I can get something to bet to fade Medvedev with. Well, hopefully, when we come back later this week, we'll have some more plays on this event. I don't want to force anything, really. And I feel like I'd be forcing something right now. So, talk plenty of action for the site in London. Have a pick here in Germany as well. Uh, but we will be back later in the week. Follow us at MP9Tennis. Follow John at Jared Tweets Tennis at Tidbits Tennis. Do subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. Until next time, see you on the court.